0: sales event is going on right now at Cody Chevrolet Cadillac. Now through December 1st, buy a new 2014 Chevy Silverado All-Star Double Cab LT and receive a total value package savings of over $9,000. See us for details. Silverado, the most dependable, longest-lasting truck, is now the most awarded truck of 2014. So hurry in today during Chevy's Black Friday sales event at Cody Chevrolet Cadillac on the Barry Montpelier Road, Central Vermont's number one Chevy dealer. Another reason, Cody is why, Chevy's the buy. Chevrolet, find new roads.
1: It's time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents The Mark Johnson Show.
2: Thank you, Jim Connie. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Hope you had a fabulous weekend. Thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Got a big program coming your way this morning. Coming up in our second hour this morning, we're going to uh, chat with Christopher Wingley, who is who um, lives in Zimbabwe and spoke yesterday at St. Paul's Cathedral. And the opportunity to hear him talk about the country that he has grown up in, and oh my gosh, it is just really devastating how terrible the conditions are there. I think many of us knew that it was bad, but the uh, under the dictatorship of Robert Mugabe, still alive at the age of 90, so we'll get an update on just how bleak things are. But what's really incredible about Chris's talk is that he talks about being able to find find hope in uh, literally hell on earth and how it's important to, for all of us to just fight every day. So he'll be joining us coming up in a little bit over an hour. At uh, 9.30 this morning, we'll chat with a couple of folks from the Campaign for Vermont. They have uh, some activity going on, including a petition trying to get the ouster of John Gruber. He's that healthcare consultant who made some really inflammatory remarks. That'll be coming your way at the bottom of the hour. We'll also talk about the election results with those folks, too. We begin this morning. Let's give a nice warm radio Vermont welcome this morning to Gus Speth, who is a longtime environmentalist, one of the co-founders of the Natural Resources Defense Council, also founded the World Resources Institute. He's uh, also worked with Jimmy Carter and uh, has also taught at the Vermont Law School. He has a new memoir out called Angels by the river and he's kind enough to join us live on the line gus thanks for joining us how are you this morning good morning mark i'm doing real well thank you let's talk about you for a minute here and then we'll talk about uh, the environmental movement i'm I'm curious to know you grew up in uh, south carolina how did that how did growing up in the south affect your life your career and your choice to get into the environmental movement
0: well i grew up down there in in the 1950s basically uh graduated from high school in uh, 1960 uh so i was uh, very much a product of the 50s which in this small southern town was a very segregated uh a place and uh and it was uh, jim crow ruling uh racism uh, of that sort uh ruled the day down there and i think uh... sort of coming to terms with that and realizing that uh... you know the, all the mores and culture and and, and habits of this uh, of this town this community indeed the whole south at that point uh... was uh... was deeply immoral and uh... and deeply destructive of uh... of people i didn't uh, didn't come to that conclusion easily or quickly i'm afraid but uh... I eventually did and when it happened it it freed me up to um think uh, afresh about what uh, i believed and what i thought the country should be headed towards and uh, and it, it made me uh unmoored from the past and 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 what i had been uh, taught uh, in 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 a thousand ways in this little town of Orangeburg and and um it also convinced me that i wanted to be part if i wasn't going to be Leader in the civil rights movement, I I at least could be a help lead uh, uh, another big movement that might uh, come along. And uh, I had sidled away from the wrong side of history, and I didn't want to get close to it again. And and when the opportunity to um, and we were about the time I was in law school at Yale, the opportunity came to uh, launch uh, uh, what we then conceived of as an environmental law firm for the environment, a public interest law firm for the environment. Uh, uh I really ran for it. Uh, the idea occurred to me, and I went and talked it up with other students at the at the law school and Everyone I talked to wanted to to join up and We could have kept going. We could have gotten twice as many people, but we we stopped at about seven members of our of our law school class and and uh we're uh, crazy enough to go marching off to the Ford Foundation and ask for a big grant to start the, what eventually became the Natural Resources Defense Council, now has a budget of over $100 million a year, hmm. offices all around the country, and uh, and a great institution that's done a tremendous amount of good uh, for, for our country. So they're, they're, these two things were linked: this whole civil rights issue and the launch of our uh, environmental concern. We learned a lot from the civil rights movement. We learned about the importance of, of of litigating the right things, the importance of getting Washington to pass legislation, and and we took all those lessons uh, and and applied them in the
2: environmental movement. What was going on at the time that was so pressing? And talk about the laws that did get passed.
0: Well, people today have a, especially a young younger people have a hard time remembering. Uh, I mean, you read about China. Uh, young people today should read about China, about all the the terrible smog and people wearing masks and uh, and and the having to turn off uh, the the machinery of uh, of industry for, for to have a meeting in Beijing as they just did and right. all the water pollution and other things that they have in China. Well, that was the U.S. in 1970. Uh, it was blatant. It was in your face. It was in your nose. In your backyard it was uh, and uh it wasn't hard to 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 spot environmental problems uh and so uh the and and the uh, you know, along comes up uh, the Santa Barbara oil spill and that really made woke people up and then uh and then it all came together for the first earth day in April of 1970 and uh that was really the birth of the modern environmental movement and very quickly and right in that moment, we had the National Environmental Policy Act with the Environmental Impact Statement Requirements, requirements. and the Clean Air Act uh, passed in 1970, and the Clean Water Act in 1972. And all of a sudden, uh, we went from zero to 100. We, we had the toughest laws, that, some of the toughest laws that have ever been written in America about anything. And off we went to, to implement them and uh, get them
2: enforced. We're talking with Gus Speth. He's the author of Angels by the River. If you'd like to join us, you can at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. Toll-free 877-291-8255. Are you hopeful when you look at China, knowing that America, you know, we do have rivers that are used to be unswimmable that you can swim in today?
0: Well, I think these things can be cleaned up, uh, with often with some lasting uh, serious damage. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, toxics still around uh, in the U.S., uh, for example, uh, despite our, our efforts. Um, the more serious issues, I think, uh, are the ones that are chronic and, and, and hard to, uh, they don't slap you in the face like the issues of the 70s did. And the, the big one, of course, is climate change, and where we just negotiated an, an agreement with China. Um, not a very tough one, but at least a start. And I think the, uh, I think, uh, you know, I give uh, Bill McKibben and his hearty band of, of young people, many of whom out of Middlebury and, and related places in Vermont, uh, tremendous uh, credit for launching this, uh, the right kind of movement to deal with the, uh, uh, with the climate issue. And, and we now have uh, this resurgence of the Keystone XL pipeline issue coming back before the Congress, the House has passed legislation to in effect force it uh, and uh, the Senate will could easily take it up this week uh, and this is a, this is a critical battle if Obama gives in on this I think he he will uh, sort of ruin his his reputation as a as an environmental uh, person and leader do you think he has that right now I think he, I think he has a part of one uh, uh, in in the last year he has been Moving on uh, on the climate issue uh, with regulations first for uh, new power plants, and now opposing regulations for older power plants, and increasing the uh, mileage standard for automobiles, and and doing other things, uh, and and making you know the right uh, saying the right thing. So I think he's trying to to build uh, a, a reputation, a record, or dealing with this most serious of, of all issues, but if he goes with the Keystone Pipeline, uh, whatever credibility he's
2: he has will be lost. Do you think it's too late to combat this global warming, and are you a believer that nuclear technology is a bridge technology?
0: Well, I, I think it's too late to head off very serious effects. Um, my, my memoir, which, which you mentioned, does... go back and look at these earlier times, uh, including earlier times in in my life, and when I was uh, the chairman of President Carter's Council on Environmental Quality in the White House, this was in the late 1970s, we actually issued four different reports urging action on climate change. This was 34 years ago Mm -hmm. now, and uh, we had plenty of time at that point to begin to Address the issue responsibly and to head off bad effects. We have missed that opportunity by doing nothing. I think it's the greatest dereliction in civic responsibility in the history of the Republic that, that nothing has happened. Uh, but um, we still have the opportunity to head off even worse effects. In other words, I'm, I guess I, I think we're going to see something very close to two degrees global average warming uh, willy nilly. Uh, and that's going to have very serious consequences, indeed, it already is uh, having serious consequences in in California, uh, depleting groundwater and drought in the southwest and drought uh, 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 stronger storms uh, sea level rise uh, we, we're having serious effects already and and the amount of warming is in the pipeline, so to speak, is at least double what we 've already experienced so we 're going to get some very unfortunate things, but there are even more unfortunate things beyond those things uh, that we could still head off if we, if we got serious. Uh, nuclear power, um, I doubt if nuclear power uh, is going to be proved to be part of the, uh, of the solution. Um, it's still tricky. <clears throat> it's still expensive. Uh, the prices of renewables are, are coming way down. Uh, the tremendous amount of efficiency can be, uh, you know, brought into the American energy economy. Uh, we're very, very wasteful still. Uh, we need to move to an energy-sipping, energy-sipping country uh, that relies overwhelmingly on renewables. It's not going to be an easy transition, but I think it's one that we, we can make. And, uh, and, and, you know, we may have to jettison some old ideas along the way. I mean, this idea of uh, endless, boundless economic growth uh, maybe some, is something that is definitely going to be to be challenged
2: uh, in the future. Well, you, you know, Bill McKibben writes about that, too, in his book, that Oil and, and Honey book, and you actually wrote about this back in an earlier book, The America, the Possible, where you talk about really transforming the economy. But as you mentioned, I mean, there was this opportunity back during the Carter administration 30 years ago. We don't really seem to change. And we, you know, seem to just keep going in the same direction of more economic growth seems to benefit those within the political system. I mean, to change that would be a difficult thing to do. How do you do that? How do you change and transform an economy that, because as McKibben says, you know, you have trees that grow, but they don't grow to 600 feet. There is a there is a limit on growth.
0: Well, that's right. Uh, well, I think uh, to talk about change, uh, I think there are two Big forces out there that are going to, uh, force us, uh, to change. One is the, uh, the climate issue itself. Uh, it's getting more and more serious. More and more people are realizing how serious it is. And, and it will, uh, worsen and we will have climate, uh, crises. Uh, and, and that's going to force action. And it'll force people to rethink, uh, what are our priorities? I mean, how is this linked to, uh, this uh, boundless, uh, consumerism and affluenza that, that, that we have and, uh, and, uh, and to our lifestyles and to what we want to try to get government to do on behalf of, of the larger public I think all these questions will be forced by the uh, uh, onslaught of uh, this uh, climate tsunami which is right offshore now uh, and we're seeing the early effects um, that, that's happening. The other thing that's happening which uh, we can see uh, especially uh right here in, in in Vermont. Uh Vermont is a leader. We we're, we're seeing people bringing the future into the present in our local communities and in our in our state. Uh e- examples of uh, new t- new corporate forms, all types of co-ops and uh credit unions and local banking institutions and local funding institutions uh, one of which just ran a uh a, a, a public notice on, on your program. Uh, and, um, and, and, and new types of corporations that are for localized and for benefit of, of people and localities. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, downshifting away from ostentatious displays of, of consumption. Uh, we're seeing uh, people going local uh, with, uh, with, with food production and, uh, and other, other uh, crafts and beginning to develop local industries that can... Uh, become uh, regional export industries, and so there, there are a lot of wonderful things. Uh, transition towns in, in several places uh, in, in Vermont, and, and policies on energy and food and other things. So I think it's a, you know, we're seeing the, the changes that we need beginning to happen. And when we do have crises, people will look up and look around and and see, wow, this is a there is a better way to do it, and it's actually happening in some places. And, and these models will be available to us to uh, move forward. And I hope single payer turns out to be one of them.
2: We're talking with Gus Speth, he's the author of Angels by the River, longtime environmentalist. You also say the environmental movement has to change. From what to what?
0: Well, here's one way to ask the question: um, Ask what, what is an environmental issue, and forever now, for four decades and more. We've said, well, an environmental issue is air pollution and water pollution and loss of species and climate change now. But what if uh, the answer to the question, you know, what is an environmental issue? What if an environmental issue is any issue that has a big effect on environmental results, on environmental outcomes, on our prospect, but dealing with environment? Well, then right away, the answers change.
1: uh,
0: Because the biggest single factor having an effect on, on the environment is our politics, our our rotten, degraded uh, politics, and this creeping uh, corporatocracy and plutocracy uh, in our country. And so right away, political reform, saving our democracy, becomes a core environmental issue, and yet it's one that's not addressed by the mainstream environmental groups. And similarly, what about our, our, uh, our consumerist lifestyles? i mean this is what's driving so much of the environmental deterioration because seventy percent of gdp is consumption and, and you, you know we're driving uh, this growth in the economy which is causing so much environmental deterioration with our, our mindless uh, endless shopping uh, shop to you drop uh... lifestyles and uh... so we need to question our lifestyles and the values that that the materialism and uh... Uh, anthropocentrism that underlie uh, our, our current uh, dominant values. We need to question them and, and think about um, uh, you know we live now in a country where about half of the families are living paycheck to paycheck where there's this vast economic insecurity people falling out of the middle class falling into worse jobs, low paying jobs uh, and of uh, and not saving uh, for for the future, very economically insecure, poverty at an all time high, uh, social mobility at an all time low. Uh, you know, we have, and and in a society where you have these severe economic crises and problems among so many people, environment is never going to you know mount to the top of anybody's uh, priority list. Uh, you know, and, and so we we have. Um, we, we, have to, we have to bring the social justice issue into the environmental concern and, and, and recognize that social justice, political reform, our, our affluenza and lifestyles, these are things that environmentalists need to make cause with other groups and challenge. Uh, because right now we're getting stronger and bigger and more successful in, in our fundraising and staffing and organizational sophistication, and, and, and we're losing the planet.
2: Let me see if I can bring this down to a local issue here. You know, if environmentalists spend less time or or spend more time working on trying to do political reform within the system, doesn't that mean they're spending less time on trying to push for, you know, clean up a Lake Champlain, for example? And if you get too far into trying to do political reform, that sounds to me, I'm thinking of the word tar baby, you know, getting stuck into that world.
0: Well, I think there's there's something to that. Uh, What that says to me is that... uh, that we have to as environmentalists we have to do to do two things uh... one uh... you know enlarge our efforts overall so that we can incorporate these new issues and secondly uh... make cause with groups that are dedicated uh... to these other concerns uh, right now we're so siloed in our own environmental uh that uh... you know we we don't recognize that we have a stake in. The, in the success of other progressive groups and other progressive forces. So we need to come out and make common cause uh, with them. And, um, you know, I think the, um, and, and in that context, uh, you know, form a, a, a more of a common agenda uh, that cuts across these issues, a, a common messaging uh, uh, of, of the agenda, a common platform. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and we haven't done that.
2: What, um, give me your thoughts on the cleanup of Lake Champlain. What, what hasn't been done effectively, either by the environmental movement, the political system, or whoever else you might want to mention?
0: Yes, I, I really, um, as a, uh, I talk about my new life in Vermont, in, in Angels by the Rover, and, and how excited uh, we are to be here. And I, we've been here a few years now, and I've been teaching at the Vermont Law School and trying to learn as much as I can about uh, the state and what's going on, but I really don't feel confident to talk about uh, Lake Champlain. I just haven't uh, haven't learned that much yet. Uh, I um, I wish I, I wish I sort of knew more. I, uh, I I'm uh, busy trying to find some good birding spots around the state and have located quite a few,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but uh, but I don't feel like I'm a a well grounded uh, uh, Vermont environmentalist
2: at this point. Talk to me about climate change and how you get countries that all seem to act individually to work on a more of a group consensus effort. That You know, this tragedy of the commons problem.
0: Well, it's very serious. Uh, we, we've had, and uh, it's, it's not just in the climate issue, uh, on, I, my, my specialty, so to speak, that what I teach is international environmental law. And I know all of these treaties that uh, we have now internationally, whether they deal with, uh, uh, you know, desertification or biodiversity or climate or oceans. Uh, and the problem it cuts across all of them, that uh, they're, they're, they're subjected to uh, uh, sort of a least common denominator approach. If, if Brazilians want to object to something or Japanese want to object to something about fishing in the U.S., as traditionally objected to things about climate, then nothing much happens. Uh, I think the um, uh, what um, what it, there's a wonderful expression that I heard in Canada first that was uh, uh, good government is, is just uh, plain old regular government in a hell of a fright. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, you know we will get uh, international action and international cooperation on these issues. Uh, when, and, and only when, I'm afraid, uh, when the crisis really
1: appears uh, severe.
2: Let me take a couple of calls here. It's us go to my peer. Dave, good morning.
1: Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, interesting guest to have there. I read an article a few weeks ago that equated the upcoming global climate crisis with leaving the $10 trillion worth of fossil fuel that's in the ground, still in the ground, and the author, I think it was Chris Hayes, made a parallel between that and the abolition and slavery movements, that at, at the same time, in the mid-19th century, the slavery had the same role, and, and, and Hayes was very careful not to equate slavery with uh, the energy companies, but he said he made the very cogent point that it would take the same kind of massive upheaval in the way people think, and would also require that powerful elites abandon the source of their wealth and power. Okay,
2: let me and, let me get our guests to comment. Thanks, Dave.
0: Well, I think the uh, I, I think Chris uh, it, it makes some very good points there. Uh, it, it is estimated that to, to live uh, uh, to keep the climate issue from going out of control and keeping global average warming. Below two degrees uh, Celsius, uh, we're going to have to leave uh, variously, variously estimated between, uh, you know, uh, sixty and eighty percent uh, of the proven fossil reserve in the ground, uh, and and that means abandoning a, a resource that could be as high as uh, twenty-eight trillion dollars uh, abandoned. Uh, so this is uh, uh, the huge transformation that's, that is uh, sitting there, uh, and, uh, and and a loss on the books of these giant fossil industries. Uh, they, um, uh, by all accounts, uh, are appreciate the reality that they face, but they just don't want to face it, and they want to prevent the rest of us from facing it. Uh, so we, they are objecting to even modest approaches to. Uh, regulating the, their greenhouse gas emissions, and so I, I think the um, it is going to require uh, an upheaval of a sort. Uh, hopefully, a very peaceful one. Uh, hopefully, uh, uh, one that uh, we phase in with uh, you know due attention to uh, uh, you know p- uh, groups uh, of coal workers and others that have to be protected uh, in this process, but one that that is uh... deeply deeply transformative and and i don't think we can make this transition if we continue to prioritize above all else uh... uh corporate profit and economic growth and and, and uh, more and more consumption for those who of us who already have enough and the lifestyles that we uh... pride ourselves with uh... you know carry on with uh... today it is going to take some deep changes in our values in the very nature of our economy uh we need to be moving to a new system of political economy i think one that's uh, uh beyond the old fashioned socialism of of yesterday and beyond this rapacious uh uh destructive capitalism uh, corporate consumerist uh, capitalism that we have today we need to invent a new system of political economy it's very interesting that the two most searched words on Miriam Webster uh fight uh, last year were socialism and capitalism. I think people are really interested in, in, in getting beyond uh, this idea that there's no alternative and, and finding a new system which really gives honest priority to people and honest priority to planet and the places in which we live people, place, and planet.
2: Thank you for your time this morning, Gus. I appreciate it very much. Good luck. Okay, thank you. Gus Speth is the author of his memoir, Angels by the River. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with some folks today from uh, Campaign for Vermont. Coming up next hour, we'll uh, talk about Zimbabwe. Back after this.